set thy glory above the heavens. We'll praise thy holy name forever, evermore. thirst for the My soul longs after you, my soul thirsts for the living God, yes, my soul longs after you, and I pour out my soul deep within me. Deep within me I pour out my soul, draw me deeper, Lord, both members and visitors to our 1045 a.m. service here at Preston Crest Church Christ. I'm Charlie Johnston, one of the elders, and we're happy to have you join us, both here physically and virtually through our streaming. If you are a first-time visitor, please fill out the attendance card in the back of the pews and take it to our information desk in the foyer. We want to welcome you with a special gift and also get to know you better after we see you after service. Please take the time now, if you haven't done so already, to text CHECK-IN to church teams at the number on the screen, 469-476-5331. When you check in, you will immediately receive our digital bulletin 
and we will know you are on campus in case of any emergency situation. Also, you can just text the word me to that number anytime to request prayers, search our directory, or be automatically checked into our website. Any prayer or contact requests can also be made by filling out one of the cards in the back of the pews and dropping it in the contribution box in the foyer. Couple of announcements. First, as you can see from the pictures, we had 450 children that were served through the generosity of Preston Crest by sharing God's blessing with these families, helping our neighbors through the packs and pencils outreach. And we certainly appreciate Kate McCoy and her leading this effort. Second, we will be having a special back to school event next Sunday night, August 14th. So be sure and plan to be here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all your blessings. You, you're just so bountiful in what you give to us, Father. Our homes, our health, our jobs, our opportunities, our friends and families. Father, we need to stop and realize that everything we have belongs to you and we need to be good stewards. We have some members of our family that we want to bring before you this morning. We especially ask that you would be with Patience Adu and her surgery in Ghana that's now scheduled for August 14th. We just pray that that would go well and be very successful. We pray that you'd be with Sharon Phillips struggling with severe knee and hip pain. And Father, our thoughts are with Paul and Debbie Lee in the loss of Paul's brother, Terry. Father, please surround these families with your comfort and love and help us to be your hands and feet as we support them during this difficult time. We continue to also pray that you bring peace to Ukraine and give protection, comfort, and healing to all those people impacted by that conflict. God, we thank you for the talents you've given each of us here at Preston Crest to use in your service. And I pray that we will find that special area of service where we can help your kingdom grow and be more effective, bringing those around us both far and near into your family. We also ask that you be with Gordon this morning as he helps us see how each of us can live our best life in service in these areas to others. In Christ's blessed name we pray. Amen. For our call to worship this morning, please read with me from Psalm 27:5. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Hide me away, O Lord. Hide me away, O Lord. 
Save me, your 
We're going to sing one more song as we are entering into our communion time this morning, and then Matt Poole will come and lead us around the bread and cup.
A few weeks ago, by happenstance, I was with a family on the day that they were going to present one of their kids with a vehicle to take to college. And the recipient, as you can imagine, was overwhelmed and excited and possibly the only person more excited was his dad. And watching all of that, watching all of that play out, it really took me back to a day uh, when I was a kid that I will never forget. I was given a gift from my parents, a generous gift out of the clear blue. I was, I was so excited as only a kid can be and I've replayed that sequence of events a thousand times in my mind. But I clearly remember feeling um, a wash in knowing that I really didn't deserve the gift and I had not done anything to earn it. And I'm fortunate now to have kids of my own, and so that allows me to completely understand that event. Um, what I know now is that my parents did not want me to dwell on the fact that I didn't deserve it. They wanted me to enjoy the gift and be grateful. Let's pray. Lord, we have freedom. We have freedom in you. We have freedom in the gift that you have given us, the gift of Jesus. We celebrate that. We acknowledge that we cannot earn the gift that you gave us. We acknowledge that we are in your hands, that we are subjects of grace and grace alone. I pray that as we remember that gift today, that each one of us uh, will examine our lives and try to live in a way that shows that we are grateful. In Christ's name, amen. Let's bow again. Lord, as we conclude our communion, with you, I pray that we will have a better understanding of you, the Father. I pray that you will draw us close to you. Lord, make your will for us known to us. Help us to have the courage, the capacity to, to live out the teachings of the greatest gift, 
Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. everybody. What a great time of communion to be together, connect each other, and connect to the Lord. Thank you, Matt, for that. I'm dying to know what that gift was that your parents gave you, but there may be a reason you didn't share that, so I won't put you on the spot. Uh, it is good to be here. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you're here with us. You are welcome. I hope you feel at home uh, with family here. Uh, if you're a member and you want to give this morning, obviously church teams, which is through your phone, uh, texting, and uh, the website. You can give through the website, or you can just drop money in the box out in the foyer. 
Uh, but we support so many good works of this church. One of them is the greeting ministry. Hopefully you got a nice greeting when you came in this morning. Uh, I'm so grateful for our volunteers who show up with smiles on their faces and warmly welcome uh, our guests and our members each week. Uh, one thing I want to tell you, just I guess a heads up, uh, don't, definitely don't want to scare you off or warn you because I think this is kind of the contrary. We want to be here, but as we're working through the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're doing right now, this is a week on sexuality uh, and it's exactly where I think you want to be, you want your kids to be, because to, they're going to get it from every other place. Let's make sure we tune into what Jesus has to say uh, and talk about that here. God, our creator, and his intentions for that. So just a heads up, that'll be coming up here in a few minutes. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us, so many good and precious gifts you give us, and we celebrate those this morning. We celebrate the ministries, the good works that go into uh, joining you and your redemptive work in our city, in, in, in this world as well. And I just pray that you will bless volunteers and workers and ministries that we partner with. Uh, bless our time and talents that we pour into lifting up your name and caring for people around us in this community. Uh, I just pray, God, that you will allow us to shine a light on the gospel, on the good news about Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Hello, this is Roland Esparza, leader of the Preston Crest Greeting Ministry. Every Sunday, the volunteers of this ministry serve by offering a welcoming smile, information, or help with a door for the members and guests of Preston Crest. Weekly, notifications are sent out via church teams to confirm whether volunteers are available for their time slot and location. The greeting extended by members of Preston Crest during my first visit helped me to know that this should be my church family. I'm grateful for the time and effort of all of our volunteers. Thank you, Preston Crest, for supporting ministries like this one. I told Roland after he shot that video, I said, man, you have got a radio voice. Doesn't he have a great voice? Me, on the other hand, I got a radio face. So... <laughs> We are uh, tying a knot in a prayer quilt this morning, so please stop by. Delpha Herndon is going to be receiving this quilt. About six years ago, Delpha suffered from a stroke and is homebound now and is asking for prayers. And she is the husband of Bob Herndon and, and the mom of sweet Denise Witt. So uh, just uh, take the name of Delpha Herndon with you this week as you pray and uh, do stop by the, the table and tie a knot in that prayer quilt for her this morning. Let's stand. We're going to send kids on up to to Children's Church. This next song, if ever there was a big dog song, it's this one. First service sang it pretty good, y'all. Let's see if we can uh, match that or exceed that. Let's sing together. Oh, Lord, our Lord,
Yeah, hit the high note once again. You're welcome. That's why I'm here. Oh, man. I would bust something in my vocal cords, I think, if I tried to hit that note. The talk. Um, who had the talk with you? Was it a parent? Was it a, a friend? Um, someone talking to you? Of course, the talk is about the birds and the bees, right? Um, uh, maybe it was somebody who absolutely, it turns out, had no, no clue what they were talking about and all of that information was wrong. Uh, this morning, we're going to get the talk from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, he was, among his very unique qualifications, our creator, the one who designed us, but also uh, among those qualifications is the fact that he never sinned. He was tempted like you are tempted. Sexual temptations, all the temptations. He was tempted with all the desires and temptations we have, and yet he never sinned, which makes him, once again, very qualified to speak to us, not only as our creator, but as someone who actually pulled this off and did it perfectly. Lived as a single man and never, never sinned. Let's pay close attention to his words. Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, ouch, and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better it, that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. When I was a teenager, I remember versions of the talk, gatherings at, of our youth group in somebody's home, maybe a youth rally, which was a big hype event for teens. Uh, maybe it was in northwest Arkansas at uh, Christian summer camp where the subject of sexuality was discussed and presented uh, and usually, I don't have it all like word for word in my memory banks, but I remember the basic gist almost every time uh, came down to uh, never under any circumstance before you're married have sex, don't even think about it, which was singularly unhelpful for a teenage boy. Now, they would fortify the talks by sprinkling in statistics about teenage pregnancy and STDs and things like that. Again, yeah, not terribly helpful. Um, don't even think about it is just not advice that worked for me or that I think worked for most human beings because we were designed by God to be sexual creatures. He wired us to think about it a lot. That's the way he drew us up. And then there's the reality of the moment that we live in. I don't need to tell you, but I mean, it's just a, a, a moment where because of our devices and, and the internet and streaming services, we're bombarded with it in song lyrics, on the shows that we binge watch, and just on advertising. We're bombarded with sexual imagery and talk. Um, so if don't even think about it was ever helpful and practical, well, I'm sure it's, it's not today. Now, there's hope because Jesus does not simply say, well, don't even think about it. He provides practical help. 
And so whatever your situation or your struggle with respect to this area, whatever mistakes you may have made, whatever you have done, Jesus gives help. And perhaps just as important, Jesus gives us hope. Like for starters, in the text that we read, there is embedded, holding up this whole teaching, the idea that, that sex is a gift from God, uh, that he then is equipped to provide us and willing to provide us with wisdom and guidance as we unwrap that gift. Now, you may, may be thinking, wait a second, I don't see that or hear that in what you just read. Sex is a gift from God, but the teaching about adultery that Jesus gives us only makes sense if you understand there was this original gift. God created us man and woman. Sex is to be enjoyed by a man and a woman within the bounds of matrimony. Adultery only makes sense uh, with that understanding, and it is to be enjoyed then. It is a gift from God within the sanctity of marriage. Like you wouldn't have adultery if you did not have this gift that God gave us originally. What happened is what always happens with the good and beautiful gifts that God gives us to bless us. The enemy distorts them. The enemy wants you worshiping whatever it is, food, success, work, sex. He wants you diving into that and forgetting from whence it came, forgetting the creator God that gifted you with that. And so Satan can ruin and distort work, create workaholics can ruin and distort our love of food and turn us into food addicts and ruin and distort the gift of sex as well. So, before there is the toxicity of sin, before there is the scheming and attacks of the evil one to harm us with these gifts that God has given us, before that we have the idea of it being a gift, pure and good from God. Now, remember last week we talked about, or Jesus talked about homicide, do not murder. But he said we've got to go deeper than that. We need to talk about the roots of homicide. And so he started talking about our hearts. He started talking about anger. That's where murder comes from. And he's going to do much the same today in verses 27 to 30 with sin. We're not just going to, because Jesus is the master teacher, he's not just going to talk about an act. He's going to talk about the thoughts that precede the act, the roots of the sin. And so we heard last week when it comes to dealing with anger, that's if we catch it early on, we can manage it. The same goes for our sexuality. We want to deal with it early on. We want to be proactive with it. And so Jesus dealt with the issue of lust because, well, I think he knows us. And he knows it's something that we deal with. And he dealt with it because he wants our hearts to belong to God. He doesn't want us worshiping things that God has given us. He doesn't want us being enslaved by good gifts that God has provided. He wants us to enjoy them, but always keep God on the throne. So, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on this one talking about the high cost of sexual sin. Uh, we have plenty uh, right here this morning who are children of divorce, and you have experienced uh, pain and trauma because of that. Maybe your parents did not divorce because of sexual sin. It's likely that that was part of it, or that was part of that story that caused that. Um, there are uh, obviously people who've suffered abuse 
here in this church, sexual assault in this church. There are folks who are addicted to pornography at this church. Um, we all struggle with shame and guilt attached to this gift that God gave us and the way that it has been distorted and ruined uh, by the evil one and by some decisions perhaps that we've made or someone else has made. Well, guess what? Jesus knows that we struggle with this. That's why he talked about it in his epic sermon on the mount. So to be very clear, a consequence of God creating you and me, us to be sexual beings, an unavoidable consequence is that men, we notice attractive women. You don't have to amen that, okay? And women, you notice attractive men as well. Uh, If you're in the line at Kroger, is it a sin to notice that attractive person in front of you in line? No, it's not. God set you up to notice her or to notice him. Lust is different. Lust goes beyond noticing. Lust goes beyond maybe saying, good job with that one, God. Lust goes beyond that and it feeds and nurtures it. It is obsessed and fantasizes about a relationship with that person. Uh, Martin Luther, I think, put it well when he talked about um, this idea of what's the difference between noticing someone and lusting after someone. He said, you cannot keep a bird from flying over your head. You can keep it from nesting in your hair. And when it comes to sexual thoughts, we're going to have that. We're going to notice people. Uh, We can keep it from nesting in our head, in our hearts. A friend of mine told me a while back, he's a good dad. He told me about a, a talk that he had with his son. His son was, was, uh, Getting older, I mean, he may have even been a graduate of high school at that point. I can't remember the exact age, but late teen. And his son had a girlfriend, and the father knew that they had gotten sexually active. And so the father wanted to have a talk with his son about that. And the son basically said, you know, I can't help myself. It is unreasonable to think I could. It is impossible for us not to be sexually active together. And my friend was, a, was and is a wise man. He pulled a crisp $100 bill out of his wallet and he said, I know you're going to see her this week, probably have a couple of dates with her. Here's $100 if you can tell me you won't have sex with her this week. The son said, okay, I'm in. Uh, and the father said, are you sure about this? And the son said, yeah, for a hundred bucks, yeah, no problem. And that's when my friend said, wait a second. I thought you said it was impossible for you not to be sexually active with your girlfriend. It turns out it is possible for me and you and anyone to handle our sexuality in ways that glorify God. The question is, what do you desire more? One desire can seem overwhelmingly powerful until a greater desire comes along. Don't take my word for it. Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. A little bit later on when he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. The question is not, will you have desire? Of course you will. What do you desire more? And he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first, desire above all others, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the other things will be added to you. 
put everything in right order. God is God, Jesus is Lord, and everything else will fall into place. According to Jesus, so what is happening when it, when sexual temptation feels so powerful, feels unavoidable, generally it is because that individual has waited too long to deal with it. They've let that fire get out of control. You know, we've been looking on the news the last few weeks with grass fires around. It's kind of scary how quickly they can grow. You know, if you catch a grass fire in the beginning nascent, you know, stages of it where it's just, it's right there, you could pour a cup of water on it, put it out. But if you wait and just observe it, yeah, it's going to get out of control pretty quickly. Now, if on the other hand, you decide you're going to pour buckets of gasoline on it, that's a whole other thing. But when it comes to sexual temptation, a lot of times we manage it so poorly in various stages to where, yeah, it gets pretty much out of control. James, the brother of Jesus, talks about how sin grows and becomes increasingly difficult to manage. James says here in verses 13 to 15 of chapter 1, remember when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God has never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us. Watch this growth process here. They entice us. They drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Um, a lot in there to unpack. For us right now, just a couple of things I want to pull out. The first would be uh, don't blame God. For your, for your temptations. Uh, James is pretty clear about that. Um, he wants the gift that he has given you to be enjoyed, whether sex or work or food or whatever, to be enjoyed within the parameters that he has laid out for us and revealed to us in his word. The enemy is the one who wants to enslave you with that, destroy you with that. Second, when temptation grows unchecked by you or me, it transforms into sin. Again, it starts with the roots and then his language, it grows where it gives birth to this other thing. The, the next thing would be that, which is death. It gives birth to death. And when I allow it to grow, perhaps I even nurture it and cultivate it uh, perhaps I pour some miracle grow on it. When I allow it to grow, yeah, death will occur. Marriages die. Friendships are blown up. Uh, fellowship between you and your Lord is disrupted. Um, so whether we're talking about sexual sin or anger or dishonesty, um, you name it, when you just kind of sweep it under the rug or hide it from others and don't deal with it, it grows and it destroys. And don't forget, I love this part in verse 13. James said, when you are tempted. James did not say, if you're tempted. No, you're going to be tempted. Of course you are. 
when you are tempted, here's how you need to proceed. So it's a when, not if for us. Now let's turn to the proactive teachings of Jesus in the text this morning. I call the general approach, and I've talked about it here before, shrinking your strike zone. Don't worry, you don't have to know a lot about baseball to understand this. It's very simple, and I've got a story to tell you to set it up. You may have heard the story before. I've told it before, and it is perhaps the most dangerous sermon illustration in my arsenal. Um, so wait for it, and I'll tell you a little bit. The jacket I'm wearing is actually a memorial to just how dangerous this sermon illustration is. I'll explain that in a bit. Uh, but so, when Jesus talks about our sexuality, he certainly gets our attention. Like, if he hasn't had your ears up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, this talk about plucking out your eye, sawing off your hand, it's very evocative graphic language to make sure that we're leaning in. Like, what is, <laughs> what is he going to say next? Of course, he's not literally talking about harming yourself, cutting off parts of your body. Um, what he is talking about is shrinking the strike zone. Um, there are these things that are causing you to stumble, then eliminate those from your lives to whatever extent possible. Diminish those, reduce those. Um, it seemed uh, what Jesus is really talking about is about being pure. And if we're going to pull that off, we are going to have to have smaller strike zones in our lives. So this shocking image is his way to get attention and point to that need to kind of reduce the number of temptation or the strength of temptation that we expose ourselves to. So I had a very unimpressive little league baseball career. I just wasn't good at that particular sport. Um, we did have a very remarkable member of the red carpet real estate baseball team in Missouri on my team, uh, Jason, and he was remarkable because he got on base every time he stepped into the batter's box. Now, that's remarkable. Like in all baseball history, the greatest on-base percentage ever was, I think, Ted Williams, and it was just over 48% of the time that this legendary Red Sox went into the batter's box he got on base. Uh, Jason was 100%. Never did he fail to get on base. And you may be thinking, wow, he must have had an incredible swing. He must have just had great hand. No, none of that. In fact, I never actually remember seeing Jason swing his bat. Um, he was a master of drawing a walk, you know? If the pitcher can't find the strike zone one, two, three, four times, then take a base. You go to first base. And there are different umpires do different things with the strike zone, but generally it is supposed to be a pitch has to be thrown somewhere between the chest and the knees of the batter. So what did Jason do? He went into a squat. <laughs> he shrunk that strike zone down where I'm not even really sure there was a strike zone anymore. At least I can tell you this, no pitcher in Neosho, Missouri was able to find his strike zone. Um, so that's how he did it. He was a legend, always getting on base. So how can you strike your, shrink your strike zone down when it comes to the temptations that you deal with. Um, I think clearly Jesus wants us to take sexual sin seriously. 
I mean, that language is so strong that he uses. Um, and part of it is going to be shrinking that strike zone. It's going to be limiting sin opportunities in my day-to-day life. You can do this. You should do this. I can do this. I must do this. I've got a friend who traded in his, his smartphone for an old-fashioned flip phone because he was struggling with pornography. That was one way to shrink that strike zone, to shrink how easy it was going to be for him to have access to pornographic videos. Um, for me, it's a lot of things. It is whenever I'm meeting with a woman in my office, the door to my office will be open and Barbara Cooper will be sitting at her desk 100% of the time. It just makes things a lot less risky. And even now, even if nothing happens, we live in an age where an accusation itself can do major uh, damage to people. So I do that. I don't go lunch to lunch with a woman who's not my wife alone. Uh, so there are just practical things that we can do and we should do to shrink the strike zone. And, and why would I do this? Well, number one, my desire is to honor and love Jesus more than anything else. That is my greatest desire. Number two, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of losing my wife and damaging my relationship with my children, of hurting my family. So there are a lot of reasons um, to shrink the strike zone. Another biblical idea on how to pull that off is to have an accountable relationship with somebody, with a mature brother or sister in Christ who loves you enough to talk with you about where you struggle, who can hear you unburdened, share your struggles, and not judge you, not tear you down, but hold you accountable, pray with you, talk with you through that. How can we do that differently? How can we do that better? Because, yeah, that didn't work out well for you. Uh, You need someone who can hold you accountable. By the way, we're working through at Preston Crest uh, a reading through of the Bible in a year right now. We're in Proverbs right now. Man, I love the Proverbs. Like every other verse, I'm like having to highlight it. I'm like, man, that is gold. And one of them is so good about this kind of relationship. It's in Proverbs 27, verse 6. Wounds from from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. What does that mean? It means your good friend who cares about you can say some things to you that are going to sting, that are going to hurt a little bit, but they are for your own good. They're helping you grow. They're trying to keep you from stumbling off over here where you're going to hurt your family or hurt yourself. Wounds from a sincere friend can be trusted. Flattery, kind words, attaboys from someone who doesn't love you, someone who is your enemy, they are dangerous and deceptive things. Don't hold on to those things. Um, Finally, part of shrinking the strike zone strategy has got to involve this. I will never, ever resign myself to sexual sin. I don't care the history that you've had. I don't care the mistakes of your past. You cannot, as a disciple of Jesus, cede this battlefield to the enemy. Accommodate, give up, decide. This is the way it's always going to be. Uh, During his ministry, Jesus dealt with loads of people who had sordid sexual histories. Woman caught in adultery, prostitutes coming into his ministry, people with all sorts of stories of not 
hitting the mark on God's ideal for their sexuality. And what he did was he gave them hope and he gave them help. What he did was extend mercy and forgiveness, but he never left them where they were, did he? He would say, go and sin no more. Very simple way of saying, now live your best life. Okay, enough of this other stuff that has not worked out for you, that has not built a strong relationship between you and the Lord, that has not helped your husband and your family and this and that and the other thing. Now, go and sin no more. So forgiveness because of Jesus and a call to do things differently. A call to put God and his kingdom first. That's what Jesus always shared with people because he wanted the best for people around him. Um, so I do owe you an explanation before we finish out this morning. Uh, I told you the, the story about Jason, my friend, is a dangerous story to tell. Um, and years back at Preston Crest, when I was sharing it one time, it, uh, it proved to be maybe the scariest moment in the history of my preaching ministry. I went down into Jason's signature squat and ripped my pants. First service. This suit jacket used to have a pair of pants that went with it. True story. <laughs> they were so badly damaged by the telling of that story that they, rest in peace, are gone forever. Now I just have the jacket, and I definitely wore this on purpose this morning. God is gracious. God is good. I believe that miracles still happen, brothers and sisters. And I was able to get out of here go home, change pants, come back, and no, until today, I think I told John Scott about it one time, but no one else knew it ever happened. God is so good and merciful. <laughs> oh, boy. I hope you'll count that as just how committed I am to, to doing my ministry well. And I learned that it is important in my occupation to choose your pants well, um, depending on the illustration you're going to share. <laughs> Oh, man. I really don't know how to finish now, so. <laughs> if you need prayers today, we would love to pray with you. Uh, I'll be down here. One of our shepherds will be down here. Uh, we are a praying church. This is a house of prayer. We are strugglers. We are sinners, but we are on a journey to grow into the image of Jesus. That's what we're about at this church, and we want to pray for each other. So if you want to pray with somebody around you or come down and pray with one of us, uh, we'd love to help you with that. If you want to place membership here, our membership class is coming up soon. It'll be September the 11th. You can talk to us more about that if you would like. Uh, this morning, if you want to give your life to Christ... If you want to publicly declare, Lord, I am putting you above all else. I want to be your disciple. Help me. You can do that this morning. You could even be baptized into Jesus. Have all of your sins washed away. And receive an incredible help, the Holy Spirit, in your life to begin this transformation process moving forward. However you need to respond, let's stand together and let's worship. This is
thank you for that lesson. We always need to be careful in that area of our life and have God first in our life and others in our lives second, ourselves last. Please plan on being back for our 6 p.m. worship tonight as Jacob Hawk helps us understand more about our responsibilities as members in our study of the church's DNA in Ephesians. Please read with me our take-home verse, number 6, verse 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And congregation says, amen. amen. Have a great day.